This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on Insurance. Today I'd like to speak about limitations on punitive damages. The U.S. Supreme Court has restricted the extent of available punitive damages in a decision called State Farm Mutual Automobile Insurance Company v. Campbell, where it overturned a $145 million verdict against the insurer. It said that a punitive damages award of $145 million is excessive and violates the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. By reducing the exposure to excessive and debilitating punitive damages claims, professionals can hope that the Supreme Court's ruling gives insurers more courage to fight insurance fraud since their exposure to punitive damages is now limited. Regardless, Campbell allows recovery of punitive damages for tortious breach of the insurance contract and the tort of bad faith. The Campbell case arose out of an automobile accident where one party was killed and another severely injured. The Campbells, insured by State Farm, attempted to pass six vehicles on a two-lane highway, failed, and caused the driver of an oncoming car to drive off the road to escape collision with the Campbells' vehicle. The Campbells only had $25,000 in coverage per person and 50000 in the aggregate. The Campbells felt they were not at fault because there was no contact between the two vehicles. State Farm ignored the advice of its adjuster and counsel to accept a policy limits demand and took the case to trial. The verdict at trial was over $180,000, and the State Farm-appointed counsel told the Campbells to put their house on the market since they would need the money to pay the verdict. State Farm refused to pay the judgment to fund an appeal. The Campbells retained personal counsel to pursue an appeal that was not successful, entered into a settlement with the plaintiffs where the plaintiffs agreed to not execute on their judgment in exchange for assignment of 90% of all money received in a bad faith action by the Campbells against State Farm. Before the suit was filed, State Farm paid the full judgment. At the trial, the plaintiffs brought in evidence of actions of State Farm in first-party cases across the country, in third-party cases not similar to the Campbell's auto accident, and other evidence not related to the facts of the case. The Supreme Court found that State Farm's handling of the claims against the Campbells merited no praise but concluded a more modest punishment could have satisfied the state's legitimate objectives. Instead, this case was used as a platform to expose and punish the perceived deficiencies of State Farm's operations throughout the country. However, a state cannot punish a defendant for conduct that may have been lawful where it occurred. Due process requires federal courts to perform an exacting de novo review of the constitutionality of punitive damages awards to ensure that an award of punitive damages is based upon an application of law 
rather than a decision-maker's caprice. Punitive damages serve the purpose of providing deterrence and retribution. When a court is considering the amount, if any, of punitive damages to award, the Supreme Court's three punitive damages guideposts need to be followed. One, the degree of reprehensibility or culpability of the defendant's conduct. Two, the relationship between the penalty and the harm to the victim that the defendant caused. And three, the sanctions other courts imposed for comparable misconduct. Not all courts follow, as gospel, the rules set forth in State Farm v. Campbell, like the Supreme Court's observation that single-digit multipliers are more likely to comport with due process while still achieving the state's deterrence and retribution goals, does not proclaim an ironclad rule. While single-digit multipliers are more likely to comport with due process, higher ratios, even double- or triple-digit ratios, are not per se unconstitutional. Punitive to compensatory damages ratios are examined on a case-by-case -case basis. The precise award, in any case, of course, must be based upon the facts and circumstances of the defendant's conduct and the harm to the plaintiff. Additional consideration is required where a particularly egregious act has resulted in only a small amount of economic damages. Ultimately, each case must stand upon its own facts with the decisive measure being the reasonableness of the award under the circumstances. The Kansas Supreme Court recognized those considerations in Hayes, Sight and Sound, but they are not to be applied in a mechanical or scorecard fashion. Even if all of them pointed against manifest re reprehensibility, a punitive damages award should then be viewed as suspect rather than automatically deficient. Likewise, one of them alone supporting particular blameworthiness wouldn't necessarily compel a finding of constitutional adequacy. The 1994 earthquake that devastated much of Southern California also called the Northridge Earthquake, spawned hundreds of lawsuits and thousands of claims against insurers. In the year 2000, in response to charges of rampant mishandling of insurance claims arising out of the Northridge Earthquake, the legislature enacted Code of Civil Procedure Section 340.9, which revised certain previously time-barred insurance claims. In 21st Century versus Superior Court, a 2001 decision of the Court of Appeal, it concluded that the statute revived not only contract claims, but also tort claims for bad faith. 
21st century contended the extension of the statute of limitations to allow punitive damages claims violated the U.S. Constitution's bar against ex post facto laws. The ex post facto clause prohibits only ex post facto penal legislation. In determining whether a facially civil statute is penal, for these purposes, there is a well-established framework of inquiry. The framework is applicable not only to ex post facto analysis, but also to whether a statute is penal for purposes of double jeopardy and Fifth and Sixth Amendment rights, among others. Looking at punitive damages in a historical sense, the court in 21st century insurance concluded that the sanction of punitive damages historically has been regarded as punishment. The court then asked whether punitive damages have historically been regarded as punishment in criminal or a penal sense, finding that punitive damages were not criminal penalties. The court stated, quote, Although punitive damages awards serve the same purpose as criminal penalties, defendants subjected to punitive damages in civil cases have not been accorded the protections applicable in a criminal proceeding. Punitive damages have not been held to trigger the protection against double jeopardy, nor have they been held subject to excessive fines analysis. Therefore, this statute does not impose a sanction historically regarded as punishment. Close quote. The Court of Appeal concluded that punitive damages are not penal in effect for the purpose of ex post facto analysis. As a result, there was no need to, re to address the extent to which the civil revival statutes, which implicate civil sanctions that are penal in effect, need to be controlled by an ex post facto analysis. Attempting to avoid the effect of Campbell, Richard Bacon sued Philip Morris, Inc. for negligence, strict product liability, and fraud resulting in personal injuries caused by a cigarette addiction. Boken began smoking when he was a minor in 1957. The jury found that Philip Morris's products consumed by Boken were defective either by design or failure to warn prior to 1969 and awarded Bacon $5,539,127 in compensatory damages and $3 billion in punitive damages. Boken ultimately accepted a reduction in punitive damages to $100 million. Both parties appealed. The Boken v. Philip Morris Incorporated Court affirmed the judgment, but further reduced punitive damages to $50 million. The parties filed for a rehearing and taking into consideration recent U.S. Supreme Court decisions on punitive damages, the degree of reprehensibility found in Philip Morris's conduct weighed in favor of the jury's conclusion to award substantial punitive damages. 
However, the jury's punitive damages award of $3 billion was legally excessive because it, it produced an excessive ratio of punitive to compensatory damages. A ratio of this amount allows the inference that the jury acted out of passion and prejudice rather than deterrence. Neither party disputed the jury's compensatory award of $5.5 million. In reaching its decision, the court found, as it had pointed out in Bertero v. National General Corporation back in 1974, that the review of punitive damages awards rendered at the trial level is guided by the historically honored standard of reversing as excessive only those judgments which the entire record, when viewed most favorable to the judgment, indicates the judgments were rendered as the result of passion and prejudice. The court found that Philip Morris's 40 years of fraud and its continuing conscious disregard for the safety and lives of the co consumers of its so-called low-tar Marlboros to be exceptionally extreme. On the other hand, the compensatory damages award was significant. The ultimate question was how much is necessary to deter and punish the activity a conundrum recognized by the Supreme Court in Adams v. Murakami, a 1991 decision of the California Supreme Court that said, quote, The nature of the inquiry is a comparative one. Deciding in the abstract whether an award is excessive is like deciding whether it is bigger without asking bigger than what. It concluded, therefore, that given the incentives that more than a single-digit multiplier is not justified, but the extreme reprehensibility of increasing addictiveness by manipulating additives, gaining smokers by fraud, and marketing a product that is more dangerous than ordinary consumers expect, Knowing that serious physical injury and death will result in many smokers does justify a ratio of at least 9 to 1. Therefore, the California courts sidestepped the holding in Campbell by finding reprehensible conduct and awarded the plaintiffs punitive damages nine times the compensatory award. Still less than the $5 billion but in a highly important and extreme amount of punitive damages. In Bardis versus Oates, the California Court of Appeal in 2004 reduced a punitive damages award, finding it excessive under the Supreme Court's analysis in State Farm versus Campbell. Bardis sued its partners in a real estate deal for breach of fiduciary duty and fraudulent concealment. The jury found for the plaintiffs awarding $165,527.63 in compensatory damages and $7 million in punitives. The court concluded the jury verdict leaves no doubt that Oates committed egregious misconduct. 
The judgment is not based on occasional transgressions, nor was it the product of negligence or sloppy accounting. Fraud and breach of fiduciary duty are universally deplored throughout our society. The jury's award reflects its repugnance at the intentional, oppressive, and malicious conduct practiced here. Thus, in our view, the compensatory damages figure does not fully reflect the blameworthiness of the acts condemned by the jury. Close quote. Although the court then found that the ratio of punitive damages to the actual harm suffered was 42 to 1, it could not stand unless extraordinary factors were present. It concluded that a ratio of greater than 4 to 1 was warranted. As the court explained, the fraudulent and deceptive conduct of the defendant registered high on what the court described as the reprehensibility meter. In addition, the fact that the only economic injury resulted did not mean that a punitive damages award should not sting. The U.S. Supreme Court, the court ruled, recognizes that infliction of economic injury especially when done intentionally through affirmative acts of misconduct, can warrant a substantial penalty. Since the case was one where the amount of compensatory damages does not fully reflect the outrageousness of the behavior, under Campbell it merits a ratio higher than 4 to 1. Campbell stated three exceptions to the single-digit ratio rule. One, a particularly egregious act resulted in a small amount of economic damages. Two, the injury was hard to detect. Or three, the monetary value of the economic damages might have been difficult to determine. Applying Campbell, the court determined that the punitive damages award must be reduced to a single-digit ratio, nine to one, and reduced the punitive damages award to $1.5 million. Still a fairly large sum. The only proper resolution of a punitive damages issue is that it is subjective and requires the good faith not only of the parties but of the court. This video was adapted from my book, Zelma on Insurance Claims, Part 106, Third Edition, which is in the process of being published now on Amazon.com as a Kindle book, a paperback, and or a hardcover, all available from Amazon.com. If you found this video to be useful, or interesting, please pass it on to your colleagues. It's free. And please also subscribe to my YouTube channel, my Rumble channel, and click on the like button or the rumble button as you do, and to my blog and to my Substack publications. Thank you for your attention.